Life's an adventure, and it's waiting. Hi, this is Merrill Hodge. At ST Bank, they know life's for the living. That's why ST Bank offers solutions to help you get the most out of it. Whether you're investing in your home, planning for the future, or just making the most of every day, ST Bank is here to help. Learn how ST Bank can help you live the life you want at stbank.com. Member FDIC. ST Bank was ranked number one in customer satisfaction with retail banking in Pennsylvania by JD Power. For JD Power 2022 award information, visit jdpower.com. Awards. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Razzball Patreons, Donkey Teeth here, back with another episode of the Razzball Patreon podcast. Gray and I recorded an intro for this week's episode, but it got eaten by the interwebs. So you've got me for the intro. We've got another special guest coming on this week. His name is Ben Sisto. He's an artist and curator, and he recently produced a short documentary. It's called Who Let the Dogs Out? And it can be found on Hulu. It's a documentary about uh, the song Who Let the Dogs Out, best known uh, for the version created by the Baja Men in the year 2000. But there's actually a pretty extensive history to this song that Ben gets into in depth on, on the documentary. Gray watched this documentary a couple weeks back. He reached out to Ben and uh, Ben was gracious enough to uh, come on the podcast and discuss the documentary with us. So again, the documentary is called Who Let the Dogs Out? You can find it on Hulu. Highly recommend it. And here is our conversation with Ben Sisto. Enjoy. Last week we saw your documentary and we're like, oh, we should talk to him. It was really fun. So that's how this all came about. Well, yeah. I mean, thanks for uh, having me. And I've never been on a sports podcast before but we did dm that you have uh boston roots so it's a safe space yeah 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 no totally uh yeah no like i was saying i went to i went to bu and i i loved boston it was a great city like i grew up as a yankee fan but i never had 
I've never had like the hatred for the Red Sox like some people have, and I never really. And actually, I didn't really even love the Yankees that much by the time I got to Boston anyway. So it was like I was always a baseball fan more than I was a Yankee fan. But yeah, no, I loved Boston, great city. Yeah, so it was uh, a good place to leave. <laughs> Where are you now? I'm in Brooklyn right now. Oh, okay. Cool. Whereabouts in Brooklyn? Uh, I'm in Williamsburg. If you're familiar with the area, I'm like right off the Lorimer L stop. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I was saying, so anyway, so uh, the documentary, like I said, it's available on Hulu. I mentioned it in the um, in the intro uh, before you got on. We We talked a little bit about it, but I was just saying to people who hadn't watched it yet, that after watching it, I felt like it was like, um, you know, like when you go uh, on the Internet and you're like looking for one specific thing and then that specific thing takes you on sort of like this journey around. And before you know it, you're looking at like who created troll dolls and you're like, what? how did I end up over here? I, I was just looking for directions to this one restaurant, you know, so. It, was that sort of like how who let the dogs out was uh, started? Was it just a, a matter of you getting this, uh, you know, this curiosity for who who wrote the song and that took you on this journey? Like, how did it all begin? I think, you know, I was I remember being in the New York Public Library uh, in in 2010. And I, yeah, it must have been 2010. And I was um, not deeply employed at the time. So I was sort of spending a lot of time like looking at job listing sites and browsing the internet, looking for freelance stuff. And so at some point I came across an article that it was like the 10 year anniversary of who let the dogs out. So I looked it up on Wikipedia and just one of the first sentences said something to the effect of the song was first heard by a hairdresser named Keith. And there was like no citation and he didn't have a last name or anything. And I've always I've had friends who are part of like the Wikimedia world or like free culture online kind of journalism world. And I thought, well, like if I don't have a job right now, like I've got the time to fix this citation and this will just be like a funny thing. Like I'll go in and I'll fix this one thing on, on this Wikipedia page. And I thought that that would kind of be it. But when I when I tracked Keith down, he ended up being this guy who's like he's like this legendary UK hairdresser who was like there at like the, like he helped invent methods for dyeing hair, different colors when like punk was starting over there. He used to do the hair for bands like Roxy music. And like, uh, he was just like this fascinating guy. And I remember just kind of thinking, wow, if the first person I talked to is this interesting, like maybe, you know, maybe it's deep kind of goes deeper. And it just happened to be that, he said another one or two things that kind of contradicted the the wiki. And I really just kept telling myself, I'm going to keep asking people who let the dogs out until I reach the logical end of this. And, uh, yeah, I didn't expect it to take a decade, but, you know, it is <laughs> what it is. Right. Is uh, uh, So backtracking just for a second. So how did you find out who, quote unquote, Keith was uh, like there no last name or was or is there a, a citation as to who Keith was there? 
No, no citation. I, I think that I, you know, I can't remember the exact pattern, but I think I probably was just like Googling like Keith Salon, London, blah, blah, blah. And, and <laughs> I remember coming, I remember coming across a PDF, like a booklet or something someone had done on him years ago. And it mentioned that he was like this big um, steel drum aficionado. And I remember just thinking like, oh, if you love steel drum music, it would make sense that he was going down to carnival every year. So I just called the salon and I said, is Keith there? I, uh, you know, like, I know it's a salon. I'm not booking an appointment. I want just tell him I want to ask him some questions about who let the dogs out. And <laughs> he, he, he got on the phone and was just like, he was kind of like, you know, once a year, someone calls me about this. Uh, and he was, he was very generous with his time. And yeah. And see, uh, so when you were, uh, when you're talking to Keith, um, and, and that then opens up a door to something else. So this is actually, this is kind of like what I was saying with like an internet uh, search that becomes like a two hour like journey around the internet. This was kind of like a real world situation where you were just finding out about Keith and that kind of went in this other direction. Yeah, it really ended up, um, it just got very complicated very quickly. After I learned about Keith, I, I had, um, in a, I had like an account on what is sort of like a like an academic um, database to search like scholarly articles and old newspaper clippings. So I started looking up the history of the song because I was like, oh, it, it just seems like more complicated. And that brought up a whole bunch of like legal court documents. So when I was reading the court documents, they, they are just extremely like convoluted with claims and cross claims and counter claims and changes of jurisdiction and I was like why is this so complicated and kind of going through those court documents I just made a note of who it seemed like all the major and minor players were and yeah just so like you know it I think people like to paint this picture that I'm like spent 10 years alone in a room with like <laughs> uh with, with like a big board of all, all these faces on it but you know it's like part of part of the reason I think it took so long too is you know, I've always, I've had, I was like, I'm a normal guy. I've had full-time jobs, you know, and stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. it would kind of be like, some nights I would work on it, not at all. But some weekends would be like, all right, well, like, I just bought some weed and it's time to go in for 12 hours. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, kind of like, it's like surfing. Sometimes there's a good wave and it propels you forward. And sometimes you're just kind of like sitting on the line, like waiting, I guess. Right. Ben, ben Donkey here. Uh, through my research, I, I found that you're uh, an artist and a curator, which kind of uh, makes sense how this transformed from something that was just kind of a pet project that that uh, you were researching for yourself out of your own interest into uh, much more an artistic project that you could share with the world. Can you pinpoint, like, uh, and for the listeners, we haven't mentioned, but you go around, I don't know if you still do this, but you did give talks uh at universities and stuff about uh, everything that that you discovered because it is interesting all very interesting and you've got a collection on who let the, the dogs out but can you pinpoint uh, where in this decade it transformed uh, like the moment where it was like okay i'm no longer just researching this out of curiosity but i'm going to turn this into something and share it with the people yeah i feel like early on there was one or two talks i gave 
Uh, one was at a art place in, in this New York City called IBEAM Art and Technology Center. And it was part of a uh, program for this organization called Fat Labs, um, which was like an art and technology thing. <laughs> anyway, I remember giving the talk and I approach it like very, very deadpan. And some of the things that I say that are just facts are when said aloud are actually like pretty funny. And I remember like <clears throat> making these like very yeah like deadpan statements about my research and people thought it was you know, there was like a, it was kind of like maybe like when a stand-up comic like has a joke land, you know? And I remember thinking like, oh, people are pretty into this. Like, like I'm getting a response that's not just let me tell you this thing. It felt more like there, there's like an, a real audience response. And then after, this was probably like maybe like 20, 2011, 2012, like so like a year in. And then I started getting some, occasionally someone would come up to me and say like, hey, listen, like, I'm actually, like, a lawyer that teaches copyright at, like, New York Law School. So, you know, would you come talk to the kids? Because it's a, because the song is so silly and the idea of researching it is so just, like, obtuse and weird, it actually serves as a really great icebreaker to approach uh, intellectual property law, which is, like, extremely kind of, like, dry and, and can be, like, very, like, mundane or, you know, it gives people like a point of access. So when I realized that it had this like uh, educational component and was funny and also satisfied a lot of my needs as like a curator collector, I think it just kind of like, you know, it gave me the drive to just like keep doing it. That said, there were like many times when I really just wanted it to like end and I would uh, like, I would give a talk and be like, my conclusion is, and like a week later, some like I'd find some new bit of information and I'd just be like, oh, fuck, I got to redo this whole slideshow. So there was like times when it was like really fun and also times when like, I don't know, like it felt maybe more like the uh, project was more in charge of me than I wanted it to be, you know? Right. It kept opening up. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, like it wasn't, uh, it, it's uh I mean, the uh, I, for people who haven't seen it, I suggest everyone uh, watch it on Hulu. The uh, the the movie is just great. I mean, it's good fun. It actually, I watched the uh, Beastie Boys documentary a uh, like a week before, and it reminded me of that. In that, like, it's a director. It's it's kind of, it's it's showing you on stage giving a talk that you it it show you know it, you can you know you've done the talk before. You obviously have it down pat, but it also takes, you know, side trips on you to actually talk to the people uh, who you're uh, mentioning on the uh, on the actual stage of the show. So I I mean, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I uh, I don't know if you are you friends with the, uh, the director and it was like, you know, he or he had seen the show and he went to he came to you and t and talked you into it. Like, how did it become a movie? So I used to, I'll, I'll go back a few steps and try to do this quick, but in another life, I used to like help run nightclubs. And, and when I was doing that, I used to like let this kid into shows for free because he used to like to like draw the bands live. So he was like this nice guy named Brian Butler. Fast forward, mid, like, I don't know, like, 50, like a, a dozen years or something. And I was working for this hotel, Ace Hotel, 
this dude, Brian Butler, is like, hey, there's a sold-out screening at one of the hotels that has a theater. Can you help me get in? I was like, sure. Like, I'm always looking out for this guy. He got in and, like, met the director. And he ended up kind of saying to him, like, hey, if you like weird, quirky, funny kind of documentaries, like, you should talk to my friend Ben. So he got us linked up. It turned out the director had just moved from Canada to basically my neighborhood. And when I met up with him, like, he just 100%, like, I didn't even have to, like, tell him what to do. He, he was kind of like, here's my idea. Here's how I want it storyboarded. Or here's, like, how I think we should approach it. And it was essentially, like, like I was saying it. You know, he was kind of just saying, I want this to be, like, very serious. We're going to, it's sort of going to be, like, inconvenient truth style. You're giving a talk with you cutaways. <laughs> and, and you're out just like, <laughs> yeah. And you're he was, out he was the one about who lets the dogs out. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I am. But, uh, yeah, he just was like, he was really adamant. He was like, the more serious we take it, the funnier it's going to be. And he's the kind of dude who will like, uh, he's like the kind of director who like, if, if he's like filming and he sees a door that says do not enter, he's like, well, obviously that's the one we're going in, you know? So it was right. really great working with them because they, they were just in a, a very, you know, a very tiny crew, like five people, but uh, the sound guy, the camera dudes, you know, it was just like a minivan of people with like two red cameras and they just like, they just did it. So it felt very, um, I don't know. I, I did it, Collaboration is really difficult and, I'm very happy with the job that they were able to do. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, deadpan uh, and playing it straight was definitely the way to go. I, uh, I, I agree. It, it comes off perfectly, and um, you know, it's tongue in cheek, but not not so winky winky that you feel like oh, there's two in on the joke. Like it's very like it's done seriously enough where it's it's very funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like copyright God, is very, yeah, like, go copyright ahead. is very, well, I was going to say copyright is very serious. At the same time, like, you know, I'm like an adult who spent 10 years looking at who let the dogs out. So it's like, <laughs> I get, like, I get that people are like, will watch it and be like, huh, the fuck is that guy's problem? <laughs> you know, or like, what, like, why? But, you know, hey, yeah, it is no, what it yeah. is. I was uh, actually with the uh, who let the dogs out. It's a uh, like it for me. Uh, I mean, I, let me see how I want to put this. So it feels almost like a chant. Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but like you even you track down the saying who let the dogs out all the way back like the 80s, um, you know, and it, it almost it feels like a chant, whereas like it's almost like people are copywriting something where it's not necessarily so, like it's just a chant versus a song almost and but the music is is really what you know brings it to life so it's like uh like the baja men, the baja men really did a great job and the uh, producer of that version did a great job of uh you know really bringing the song to the masses Whereas this, you know, this chant earlier, like the fact that people were saying like, you know, at one point you're in, in Florida with those guys who were saying like, oh, yeah, we we were the first ones to ever say this. But then you have them playing other songs of theirs and it's all just 
other chants like, uh, you know, uh, oh, don't, uh, you know, the, the roof is on fire. Let the motherfucker burn. Like it's all stuff mm-hmm. that like you've heard so many times before. So it's like maybe those guys in Florida had just been in Michigan for like a weekend and had heard, heard about like on the local news had heard this chant from this local football team. But maybe someone on that football team had heard the chant in the 80s from someone else. And it's just like, like, how do you like, do you, can you copyright something like, you know, like, what's up? Like, if someone did a song like, hey, what's up? And that was the whole song. Can you copyright? Hey, what's up? You know, uh, the short answer is it kind of depends on the phrase. Right. So, like, who let the dogs out can exist as like uh, something that is like in the ether. But when Miami Boom Productions chose to take that not widely, super widely used phrase and specifically set it to music with the intent of the, uh, the it, it's like the words in the music combined are like what is copyrightable. So I do think that Miami Boom Productions, it would be accurate to say that unless an earlier recording comes out, they are the, le- they could be seen as the legally recognized copyright holders on this like chorus, which combines the words who let the dogs out with like the music and the barking and all that stuff. Um, the other the other phrases that they, you know, use like the roof is on fire and, and all that stuff. I mean, that's just kind of like the times, like it's Miami based. There's like all different phrases going around. And, and that was just some other stuff that happened to be on the same sample disc. And obviously they wouldn't take credit for the roof is on fire. Now it, it is the case that Joe from Miami boom, was visiting family in Michigan around the time that teams in Michigan, like local teams, were using the phrase. But when I asked Joe about it, he was very clear about having, like, no memory of having heard it. And I believe him for two reasons. The first is that I have found him over 10 years of knowing him now to be a very, like, pretty straightforward and upstanding guy. I I don't think he's a liar. And two, he's like a fucking encyclopedia like you can be like joe uh there's like a song that goes like da dun da and it was recorded in like and he's like oh yeah that's like dj premiere it's like his first b-side off whatever he just <laughs> like ha- he just has that kind of memory so what i think is more likely the case is like it maybe like just maybe he heard it and like never even noticed i think this is one of the huge things about copyright that is so fascinating or the artistic process that's like so fascinating is we're all playing this game of telephone but we don't know we're playing it i mean i don't know how many ideas i've had that are not my ideas you know i only like exist in a world well that's the uh like that is not sorry to interrupt but yeah like i uh I, I've been, uh, you know, I, I've done screenwriting uh, in the past, and I, I know sometimes I'll come up with a great idea and I'll bounce it off of someone who I trust, and they'll be like, that was done already. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I thought I created that. So I yeah, understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, like that is, that was kind of like my idea with the guy in uh, Joe in Florida, uh, Miami, uh, I'm sorry, Miami base? Miami Boom. Miami Boom, sorry. I, uh, yeah, no, yeah, Miami yeah. Boom, like, if they're in Michigan and they're in one, they're in the living room and in 
a bedroom upstairs. You like the local news is playing who let the dogs out. And he just happens to hear it. And subconsciously, you know, he's like, oh, that is a cool chant. I could put that to music, like not even like, you know, actively thinking it. But that is, you know, that right there. It's like as he put it to music. So you're saying that's the point where it becomes copy. Uh, you know, and then, yeah. that's when he starts yeah. opening it. It's, it's basically like copyright is like a, it's sort of like, well, it's not even about being first to market, but it's just, but in, there's an interesting thing too, where um, there's like, there was a revision in, uh, in copyright law that basically says, if you produce a creative work after a certain date, you no longer needed to officially register it with the copyright office. So if Miami Boom had made this song in like 19, maybe even a few years prior, uh, and not officially registered it, they would have less of a claim. But because they re they created the song shortly after this new era of automatic protections began, like it's theirs. I mean, I the the thing that's tough is that like, you know, copyright is the right to like be held up in court until you're bankrupt. You know, like if if two guys like Brett and Joe get like a pro bono lawyer that wants to go take on like all of the mega companies that own the controlling interests in the master rights, like good luck because what they're going to do is just, it's like a denial of service attack. Like the label is going to throw so much money uh, at, at lawyers and stuff and like the legal process to basically just like make the plaintiffs want to go away. So it's kind of this unfortunate thing. Like, I think that they're right. And I'm not sure they're ever going to like get cut in on it, which is really unfortunate, but I do hope that the movie at least makes it known that, that they did that shit. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. No, no, that was, that was the big takeaway. I think that was like the, uh, you know, sort of the big second act reveal was like, uh-uh, these guys actually are the ones that created it down here in Miami. Uh, I I do I do think the guys, uh, I forget, I'm sorry, I forget their names, but the, the radio producers up in um, Michigan, I mean, they had to have heard the chant from that team. Like, it, it had to be, right? I mean, either, I mean, I would say that if they did not hear it, from local uh, high school sports, they maybe heard it from that uh, production team, Twenty Fingers, with the singer Gillette. But you know, mm -hmm. again, like I met those guys in person, asked them in person, and they were very—they were like, "Nope, never heard it." I mean, I would say that like I'm no like body language reading expert, but I didn't get like liar vibes off them either. Right. Like oh, they that just kind also of might be another situation where they just really honestly don't remember yeah. being at like, you know, they're at like a, uh, you know, they're over someone's house at, at, for a party and someone in the corner is singing that chant and they don't even know where it's from. Like they're just, you know, yeah. it's yeah. like it's just in the uh, it's in the zeitgeist of the, that area where the football team is doing it. The yeah, whole idea... it's really like. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, you know, I was going to say what I ended up taking away from it, which is probably totally different than, than most people would take away from it, but it really got me thinking about the whole idea of intellectual property as a whole. And I start to like, in my mind, connect it to 
like back to like Native Americans and the idea of owning the land and owning property. It's like this like negative side effect of capitalism that we're talking about owning ideas that it almost stifles us as a people our ability to share ideas because we're worried about, oh, whose was it and how can we monetize it and make money off of it and all this whole idea of profit versus if we're just freely sharing everything and not worrying about who came up with this idea first or that and just working together, there'd be so many, like, we wouldn't be holding these things, like, close to our cuff worried about somebody stealing it, you know? We just, everyone would be building on each other's ideas, making things better and that's kind of where my messed up mind goes and and start like I, I love capitalism, but man, there's like some alternate timeline where we're all working together here and sharing these ideas, and and you know this is where where my mind goes from who let we're the dogs working, out. We're working together, well, what, a, a better who let the dogs out. Right. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, I mean, like the internet, like Apache servers are open source. I mean, there there are countless examples like governments like i think the government of brazil for me i don't know now but for a while was running like uh open source like ms office equivalents like there's there's no shortage of people who are sort of both like contributing to this common pool of like public domain or creative commons type ideas at the same time um that doesn't like hinder late capitalism's thing that it does where it like you know um consumes all mute dissent and like squashes the originators you know in the name of like advancing uh corporate profit or whatever so it's it's like this touchy thing like i copyright right now i believe is like if you have the copyright on something the the term is your lifespan plus 95 years and this is because of like the 1976 copyright extension act and a whole bunch of other bullshit it's because of like disney and like their characters kind of potentially expiring and uh the original though term i believe was 14 years and i do think there's like this mi- middle ground that would satisfy or that would appease people like myself who maybe are more on the like copy left or public domain open source side of things and then people who think they might need uh, a bit of time to like develop their idea and sort of see how it plays out in the real world so whether that's like 14 years or like 20 years, like whatever it is, but you certainly don't need to own the copyright for something after you've died, because then what happens is it falls to your estate. And it's like the estate isn't you. They, it's, it's just, this, it's kind of like, you know, Google used to be like, don't be evil. And then a bunch of other people are in charge of Google and like, who knows what the fuck they're doing. So it's like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, the, uh, it's yeah. Like, it's like the uh, what's we called the uh, the first guy who uh, you know it may not have been about evil, but then the estate becomes evil. Yeah, or it's like yeah, it's like I get it. Like you you have an idea, and ideas have value, and especially like uh, if you're maybe like an artist or an inventor from like a marginalized group or something, you might need more time to develop your idea because you have these other sort of systemic problems you're fighting against. But there's also like a certain point where it's like, okay, like if this shit's not coming to market, like just like let other people have a shot or at least a shot to build on your work with attribution. 
Right. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't I don't know specifics, but I know I know this problem comes up a lot with medicine and uh, different, you know, I, you know, like when uh, aspirin or something, when there's like a, a copyright comes up and then, you know, someone else, you know, someone has it for 95 years after, you know, someone else dies. It's like, is that for the greater good? I don't know. You know, it's hard to say with like something like Disney, the example you gave where it's like, well, Disney dies. And does that mean everyone gets the Disney characters 14 years after, or does his estate then, you know, uh, benefit from having controlling copyright rights? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but I, I hear what you're saying though. It is, it's, it's a slippery slope. I think, uh, yeah. with cop. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because you also like from a creative perspective, you, you want to be able to, you know, say, Hey, that's mine. Like, you know, don't, you can't have that just for free. Uh, you know, cause like, you know, whatever we think of say Walt Disney again, you know, whether or not he was a good person or not, you know, he did create the characters. So it's like, do we take that from him just because he's dead? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's tough. I don't. It, yeah, I don't know. Well, I feel like you guys have like your choices as an artist, right? You're like, uh, give it away or like end up being bootlegged, you know? And they both sort of like involve like I don't know. They they both involve like ego to different degrees, but it's like. I don't know, people make like Coach and Chanel fake bags that are better quality than Coach and Chanel real bags, you know? So it's like, um, there's a lot of questions about like what what even like a bootleg is. Like if I, or like, like fan fiction, I think steps into this area a lot, like, or when people do like recuts of like movies like Star Wars or whatever, but make versions that the fans end up liking more. It's kind of like, I don't know. There's just a point where things are pop culture enough that they they feel so strongly like they could not possibly be controlled by a corporation anymore that yeah. I think they should just be in the public domain. But, you know, people have different um, thoughts on when that happens. And actually, that reminds me of uh, like uh, the first script I ever sold. I uh, I it was a script. It was the, the basic premise was two guys who go back to the 70s and they do Star Wars before George Lucas. And the obstacle we kept running up against was like, George Lucas is going to sue us, basically. This <laughs> was the mm-hmm. because everything we did, you know, it was, a, it was a comedy. So it was like they went back to the 70s and they were like, okay, well, you know, in uh, Star Wars, uh, A New Hope, there was no Ewoks, but they're so fun and it's good for merchandise. Let's put them in there. So it was like a, a conglomeration. It was like a, it was almost like fan fiction, uh, but in a movie form. Whereas, yeah. you know, these guys are doing all these different uh, tropes, uh, but it was a problem we kept running into anyway. Was like, yeah, well, you got to get George Lucas's approval before we're going forward with this movie, even though there's, you know, there's parody laws, uh, which is how SNL is able to get away with things, or how uh, comedies in general are able to get away with things. But then. There was there was a lot of legalese that you know. Anyway, it, it became a, like, a legal error. <laughs> I feel like you could do it where like people go back in time and just happen to like get influenced by all the same movies and like old 
uh, old folklore that George Lucas got inspired by, and then they just happened to come up with it. Because, like, you know, like, it's not like Yoda or and these kind of, like, mythical characters that have magical properties but are found on the side of the road. Like, I mean, they have roots in folklore going back, like, so, so long. You well, know, he, you could just be like, he, he, he just followed, basically, Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's journey. I mean, it wasn't like... Yeah, to- he just, yeah, you're like, we're not making we're not making a movie about Star Wars. We just went back in time and are also influenced by Joseph Gamble. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Anyway, back to the uh, uh who oh, right, the right. Yeah, yeah. So um I w- so the song is like a top five earworm, obviously. I mean, so was there any was there ever a point where like if you ever mentioned it to someone, I'm sure everyone would always be like, you know, they do the barking back at you. Was there ever a point where you're like, I don't want to even talk about this because I know someone's gonna go woo 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 right back to me. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times people are like you know, what What do you think about the song? Or like, do, do you love the song or hate the song? And I would always just tell people that I was indifferent, which they didn't really <laughs> like as a response because it was just like, well, I'm doing a research and it, it's about this song, but it's not like I'm like, how do I break this down and like figure out like, what? how did they tune the barks? I'm not like doing some kind of <laughs> like beat out, like Beatles white album mono mix, like fucking dad blog about it, you know, like. It just happens to be that, like, that was the song that has this, like, story. I mean, I personally probably, God, just from doing, like, the talks or, like, doing research at home, I mean, I've heard it thousands of times. And for me now, it's just, like, um, it's just kind of there, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I think I've accepted that it's, act- like, I think that on paper, in terms of, like, construction and production and, and all that stuff, I think it's a great song. And then at the exact same time, like, it's just fucking terrible. So, (laughs) yeah. Right. How often do you get that song stuck in your head? Uh, And was there, like, a period across the decade that you were doing this where it was just, like, constantly playing through your mind? You know, surprisingly not. Maybe when I would be gearing up to go on, like, a mini tour or something, and I would be playing it, like, like in a heightened amount around the house, I might be walking around and like even my wife would kind of be like yippee yo, you know, these like little parts of the song. Uh, but it's not like uh, you know, I don't wake up like snapping my fingers like to some fucking NPR jazz cover of it or or whatever, you know. It, well, you mentioned your wife. Oh, sorry. Oh yeah. Go ahead. You mentioned your wife. I mean you did this for 10 years and you said that you weren't like in a room by yourself with the crazy board and uh, you know, drawing, <laughs> drawing diagrams and stuff, but, um, Carl, I guess. yeah. <laughs> did your wife ever have, uh, you know, second thoughts about the amount of time that you were pouring into this or was she totally on board or did your friends and family ever question whether you'd lost it? No, I, thankfully, um, my wife is the director of research and evaluation at like a, a large nonprofit. So, like, if it has to do with a spreadsheet, she's down. And I think there's a lot of we a, a lot of different projects that we both work on. You know, it'll be like, do you know the formula to, like, add up whatever? But she's doing it to, like, you know, uh, help make New York City a better place. And I'm, like, tallying the number of barks in a song. You know, there's different purposes. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're speaking, like, a common language. And actually, 
we, we have this like small, like office size room in our apartment. And I remember one day saying like, you know, I want to take all of my stuff, all my ephemera and put it on, like pack it in there, put it on display. And I want to like run it as like an official museum where on the door, I'm going to put like a, like a little red velvet rope and like, just have a website and like people can like book an appointment and maybe like once a month some stranger will come over and we'll just have a beer and I'll let them walk into this weird ass closet and like she was a hundred percent on board with this idea so the and, and so I, I was going through that process but then we had a daughter so uh, my I was gentrified out of that room <laughs> your, your daughter ruined your who let the dogs out museum yeah man I had a good thing going and then you know <laughs> You're doing a nonprofit and who let the dogs out museum. <laughs> just trying to make friends. Yeah, I just like I don't know. I just like the idea of being like, yeah, it's like there is this museum that exists physically in New York City. Like it wouldn't be a lie. So. <laughs> museum. I mean that is uh you know, that is Brooklyn basically uh to a T gentrified. <laughs> like yeah. Are you guys going down to the Who Let the Dogs Out Museum? Yeah, at first we're going to go get some artisanal honey and maybe check out this new coffee roaster. I mean, we, we got that too. I know who I am. <laughs> That's awesome. So is your uh, so is your next step, in, like, are you uh, thinking about, like, researching, like, uh, Umbop or Tub Thumping <laughs> or Barbie Girl? Well, interestingly, Steve Greenberg, who produced Who Let the Dogs Out, also did Mbop. So, uh, but no, I won't be, I don't know. I don't have like a, I'm not like, oh, this is my thing now. I, I research the the story behind the songs from the 90s or something like it. You're not, you're not becoming Michael Moore of Smash Mouth. No, no, I, I, I I could had this song been all star, I wouldn't have stuck with it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. Like now, I'm. What am I working on now? I would say I'm working on two things, which are going to sound uh, very, very divorced. But the two projects I'm working on right now, one of them uh, involves uh, trying to slow down analog clocks. So that's <laughs> I've been like tinkering with a lot of like uh, clock components. And then the yeah, other yeah, thing yeah, is you're the best. What, move to LA. I want to be friends with you. You're like <laughs> you're ridiculous, man. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, you know, second oh, thing. And then the then the other thing is I'm working with a friend on a project like this one is maybe well, it's definitely more serious, which is uh, like a fundraising profit to sort of on like a hyper local community level uh, address the issue of like reparations for Black people in America. So. I'm kind of like, these are my two hobbies right now. One is taking apart clocks and trying to make them run slower. And the other is trying to like give black people free money. Um, and then beyond that, hopefully when all this COVID-19 shit lifts, I'll like have a job again. And yeah, I guess uh, we'll see what, what it is. The, uh, well, uh, speaking of uh, uh, reparations and documentaries, I, you probably saw it uh, on HBO. There was a great documentary I saw this week. Uh, was it True Justice? I believe um, about. Uh, oh, I think that. Yeah, I think actually, I feel like um, maybe my wife was just mentioning that to me before I got on this call. So I think uh, 
Yeah, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, no, I actually, I watched it this week. It was great. It's called True Justice. It's on HBO. It's about Brian Stevenson, uh, who is fought in front of the uh, Supreme Court a handful of times, and he is, uh, you know, he is a Harvard-educated uh, attorney who fights for people on death row, and he talks a lot about uh, reparations, and he actually built a museum in Alabama about, uh, you know, the history of from slavery through to present day. So it's a good documentary. Cool. A lot. Yeah. A lot, a bit heavier than, uh, who let the dogs out, but, but was, I mean, but they're, they're similar both. And they are both stories about, uh, the ways in which like our, um, denial, of the shortcomings of like capitalism have resulted in like people being like robbed of money, resources, and like, I don't know, like proper attention, you know? Yeah, definitely. No. And also I was, uh, I was actually thinking that, uh, earlier, uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, lawsuits and blah, blah, blah with, uh, uh, in the documentary, you actually have a, a, a on the phone encounter with a, a an attorney, who doesn't even want you to bring up the fact that other people may have came up with a song prior to uh, her client. Yeah, that's Lita Rosario. She's a really interesting person, and she's actually worked with a couple of different, like, hip-hop and R&B artists over the years on, like, sampling clearance and stuff. And I would describe her as the kind of lawyer that you, like, don't want to talk to unless she's your lawyer because she's, like extremely like i mean she's a you know she's a good lawyer she's very to the point she's like not trying to like answer a single question more than like she needs to um she was in this story was extremely protective of her client's rights and i think while at first i remember thinking oh she's being like overly aggressive with me but then you know in retrospect you know, I, I cold called her out of the blue and I'm bringing up a case that she worked on very hard from 20 years ago that she thought was completely like, you know, done. People have been paid like it's it's on in her world. It's one of her big wins. And then I come along out of nowhere with like, you know, a sound effect of a record scratching. Yeah, I was uh, I was also really impressed with uh, Anselm Douglas, who is, I believe, the person credited for writing uh, who let the dogs out? Uh, he seemed like just a really down to earth, great guy. Uh, is he? He is the person credited uh, solely for who let the dogs out, or no? Um, so on, yeah, he is the person who Bahamen are covering, and the credit, I guess, was one of the things that was in dispute on the original release. It says written by Douglas, but it also says arranged by Ozzy Gurley. That was his writing partner at the time and the dispute over like who actually gets the rights to license it uh, kind of led to a lot of litigation. But back to your original point, yeah, total nice guy. I mean, he's responsible for one of the biggest songs that has ever been recorded. And he came over my house. He signed a couple of records for me. I couldn't make it, but he invited me out to like a little show he was doing here, uh, followed up with me. And he, you know, so that's kind of what's been really great about this project is a lot of people 
who like didn't need to go the extra mile for me really did. And he was an incredibly just charming. I mean, he's a stage guy. Like he just knows, he knows how to shake hands, smile and like, and do the interview. And he was great. And also Greg green from the, I know since this is a sports podcast, uh, Greg (laughs) is the marketing manager for the Seattle Mariners. And that dude rolled out the carpet. Like, I mean, he really did us a lot of solids. You know, he, he was kind of like, oh, you guys come to the game tonight. Like, I'll get you some tickets. I'm sorry. I won't be able to be there. And we're like, that's cool. That's cool. So we go to the game and then he texts us and he's like, get your cameras rolling. I'm in the DJ booth. And we're just like, what? So he threw the song on for us. Like he, like he played the song for us in a city where they, where they are so sick of that song. So he's playing it. And I was like, yes. And I'm looking around and the crowd is just dead silent you know like uh but you know he got us into like the the press boxes i mean he was just like really really like a great guy yeah yeah for uh for people uh listening uh again go and watch the documentary but um what ben's referring to is the mariner uh they popularized uh who let the dogs out uh to a uh, a large sports audience and that's why you can blame the mariners every time you're at a sporting event and they play who let the dogs out it has a lot to do with the mariners but you see the movie you'll you'll understand more yeah alex rodriguez he he wanted it for his at that song and uh, <laughs> Oh. I that, mean, it's so that, that, that glove slapping, glove slapping jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's that's the so, the box so, that we just came out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's all it's all good. We no one likes a rod. <laughs> that works. Um, oh man, so the uh, so are you so you're officially out of the uh movie business then uh, where uh what what would you like to promote is there anything besides what you mentioned with the uh uh with the, your analog clock <laughs> is there anything ben that you want to promote to our audience uh before you go can they contribute to these reparations that you're working on um not currently like, well not the not the thing that i'm doing but i guess like when when is this gonna air? Like pretty soon? Yeah, the next week. I mean, okay. I would say like given the current cultural climate, yeah, I have nothing to promote except the idea of people finding like uh, a bail fund or some other program that puts money directly in the hands of the black community with as little red tape and questions asked as possible. I think um, that is what we all should be doing right now. <laughs> Maybe like. Maybe another time in the future, I'll be I'll be back on here with another movie. But I think that's that's where all money should be going right now. That's awesome. It's it was it's great of you to say. I agree. I hundred uh, percent. And uh, it was so nice to talk to you. I really love the film. Again, it's on uh, Hulu. Who let the dogs out? It was. It's really been a pleasure, Ben. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It's uh, it's cool to talk to some new folks. And thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, Ben. Great talk. All right, peace. Great. 
great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.